Hello, everyone. My name is Oweiz Asmao. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat, a show where we talk career experiences, entrepreneurship, and investment. The main aim is to show that there's more than one way to be successful other than just climbing the corporate ladder. We are live on LinkedIn and YouTube, and the show will be available on podcast by tomorrow morning. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. If you are joining us live, drop a one in the comments so that we know we're not talking to ourselves, and drop a two in the comments if you're watching the recording. My guest for this week is Justice Mihiza, Chartered Accountant and Financial Manager at CPOA. His career includes eight years in the audit environment. Justice, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Uwais. Um, I never thought I'm a likely candidate for these things, and it's, um, yeah, actually quite humbling to join you. Thank you very much. Glad you joined. Let's jump into it. Tell us your story. Where do you come from? And even outside of work, who is Justice Mihiza? Give us the backstory. Well, um, it's a long story um, about me, but I, I'm, I'm from Zim. So um, a Zimbabwean guy who found his, his way to the SA uh, in 2008 and um, just, you know, grew up in the township, dusty streets of, of Fulawayo, Zimbabwe. And yeah, had a completely different dream um, in his eyes, in his mind than uh, ending up doing spreadsheets. So I wonder if anybody ever grows up and says, one day I want to be an accountant. So I'm not one of those, um, evidently. But uh, regardless of being you know, born and raised in a township, I kind of had a sheltered uh, upbringing. The eldest of a yeah. moderately large family of um, four other siblings. So we had five children. And yeah, so... That's me, um, easygoing, simple person, <laughs> usually. And I've got what they call dead humor or dry jokes. So in a nutshell, um, I'm the sort of guy who just enjoys a quiet time reading, that sort of thing. Um, coming to Cape Town and uh, being exposed to such you know, a glorious place in terms of just the options that you have um, in terms of the outdoors and all of that stuff also open that uh, avenue up for me. So you'll find me frequently during the weekend, um, finding either hiking or running, doing sort of those, those sort of outdoorsy things that I didn't grow up being exposed to. So that's the, that's the me behind um, the, the kind of in the office desk bound person. So I feel like I'm that kind of a person that um, unchanged themselves during the weekend and, and gets to um, unleash themselves into into the into nature. Okay, no, that gives us a good a, a good understanding of the different different versions of who you are. But I mean, you've had a, a reasonably long career, but you spent eight years in audit. Now, eight years is a long time to stay in audit. Most people leave after three. Some people do the articles and say, okay, I'll stay on for two years as a manager and then leave. What made you do all those extra years? Yeah, so I actually never wanted to be in audit. Um, so, it, it, yeah, so that's references to what I just said. That, um, but 
initially, uh, I spent a lot of time in college. So almost like, um, what do they call this guy, founder of Apple, Steve Jobs. So I spent a lot of time in, in college finding myself. Um, I think initially I studied mechanical engineering then I spent two years studying architecture. Then I wound up graduating with a BCom in banking. So none of that remotely related to, to accounting. But, um, you know, when you do BCom, you usually do um, some kind of accounting. And when I did accounting, you know, they'd be the one they call accountants, accounting for non-accountants, which is the simple accounting module that everybody picks up. And then there's financial accounting for the hardcore people that do, you know, the become accounting stream. So I chose the other one. And lo and behold, I, I got a distinction in that. And then I got a lot of people encouraging me, why don't you do accounting? And I was like, no, I'm not interested. The interest was to do um, venture capital, um, you know, help, uh, you know, build and, and, and seed and fund small up and coming companies. So for a while I worked a short time in microfinance um, doing that, but at much smaller scale. So when I came across to SA, that was kind of the dream. And I started, you know, putting CVs across and I kept being told, but you have, are you a CA? And then I was, what is that? So you can see I had no, no clue whatsoever what that there were CAs out there and Okay, so I decided, okay, how, what do I need to become a CA? So I thought we have to do articles. Applied, got a place to do articles, and did articles. And I think somewhere in between, I realized, but this stuff is actually interesting. So <laughs> that's how I ended up doing, doing accounting. And how I ended up staying so long is a lot of people love to hate auditing. And I think you kind of look at, with funny expressions when you express interest in auditing, when you kind of fascinated by the process and the insights. But yeah, um, I think it happened almost by osmosis, if you want to say, that I got sucked in. And then um, eventually, you know, I stayed and stayed and did auditing. And the more, you know, you, you get more and more interested and you get more uh, interested in doing so-called difficult clients and the ones that are tough nuts to crack so that that was the allure that got me into staying in audit for such a long time i feel like there's a gap there from i mean you said i qualified in become is it banking yes and audit like somewhere in there there must be some extra studies that we're missing out so give us that <laughs> all the gap for yeah, me. so, so yeah, extra studies are kind of a necessary evil um yeah I'm one person that actually, up until I studied accounting full time, I'd never struggled with my studies. Um, I'd always kind of breeze through stuff in, with you know minimal attention and minimal effort. Kind of managed to get good grades. So when it come to when it came to accounting and and um, having to do you know conversion courses, that's where the real struggle began. Um, and I'm one of those multiple offenders for doing uh, CTA. It took me, it was a hard slog getting through that hurdle. And yeah, I think I must have done five or six times um, CTA and conversion 
to an additional attempt to do the conversion course um, to actually become eligible to do CTA. So I became a little bit long in the tooth. And I think at one point I actually said, I'm no longer doing this. I'm going to do something else. And, and for a while I did. Um, I ended up uh, joining um, Cyper and becoming a professional accountant somewhere in 2014. And I said, ah, you know, it's fine. I can do what I can with, with what I have. And I was pretty okay with it. And then, yeah, I revisited some of that studying stuff later on in my life. And you got there in the end. So that, that's perseverance. Eh? That's perseverance. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, and tell us, um, how did you find the transition from the audit environment to the corporate environment? And what advice do you have for those uh, currently making that transition? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of trends that you get whilst you are, you are auditing. And I think the one thing that it might upset a lot of auditors is that it's, it's, it's a very easy process of finding fault. So fault finding is, is pretty simplistic and um, you, you kind of have a model of this is the right thing that should be there and you're holding that against the mirror and comparing and saying, okay, you know, this is what should be there and it's not there and you tick your boxes and you write a report and you recommend stuff. So that's easy, but you've been given a blank slate or of saying, create something, do something. So the biggest challenge, um, in fact, there are several, I'll start with one which a lot of people don't realize is working in a professional environment where people are self-motivated, like in an accounting firm, um, where people kind of know that they have a role to do, they have a task to do, there is actually a time bound, there is a deadline within to work with, is, is, is very different to getting into corporate where not all corporates are made the same. I've predominantly worked in SMEs, so where there is less structure, you get there and you have to usually work on systems, you have to work on controls and, and implement uh, processes and, and actually work with people that are kind of sometimes disengaged for one reason or the other. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges that you actually meet when you, when you get to a situation where you're moving from a, an environment where you've got the resources, you've got the tools, you've got the systems, you've got all the mechanisms, whereas um, in a lot of corporate, um, those things are not there. And then on top of that, sometimes the secondary one is that there's an assumption that you are the brain's trust. So you've, you've arrived there, maybe you've got fancy qualification or you've got a degree, therefore you are you know, the buck stops with you. You kind of know everything there is to know. And if somebody asks you something and you don't have the answer, that's calamity. Whereas in an audit environment, you've got those layers where you've got, you know, sometimes you have a technical department that um, will handle the, the complicated technical stuff. Sometimes um, you have structures such as senior partner, or you have actually someone who externally reviews your work. Whereas incorporate all some of those things are not existing so that's kind of my two 
broad and big challenges that I can say um, differentiated audit and, and corporate for me. And any advice for, for people making the change? Yeah, so I think the advice is that um, one, you need to breathe. I think a lot of people mention that you need to breathe. And um, you need to actually know that the accounting sometimes becomes secondary in, in a corporate uh, situation. So we all know our debits and credits and, you know, and, and if, you know, if all things get crazy, you can always process journals. But um, what becomes more important is knowing your role within the business uh, and, and giving value within that business. So, and, and how you do that is you engage with the, the critical people within the business. So you have to identify that um, you are a resource to the business and which areas of the business actually are key for you to interact with, for you to give um, support, for you to give, you know, um, your services as, as the accountant. Is it the operational side that needs you? Is it the governance, governance side that actually needs you? So you have to go and uh, identify which are the key areas where you need to place yourself and, and provide uh, most of your attention, well, as well as the numbers. All right, that gives a good, good understanding. For the audience, uh, we'll be responding to, to questions towards the end, so please add your questions to the comment section now. I see some questions coming through. Uh, we'll answer, we, we just want to make sure we don't miss them. Justice, I see that, I mean, you've had a few roles as a financial controller and an accountant, and then you were appointed to financial manager. First, congratulations on that. Uh, you role. Like, how are you finding the difference between the financial manager role compared to, let's say, that accountant role or that controller role? Yeah, so I think the controller role really depends on the organization. Sometimes the controller role and the FM role are one and the same thing. So the controller role is more used by, uh, let's say, the multinationals as well as the, the American firms love that. Whereas I think in SA, it's more um, in love, SA is more in love with the financial manager role. Um, but typically the, the difference is really on the financial controllership role. You're more concerned with, um, as the name says, uh, you know, financial controlling. Um, but even the financial controller roles that I've done, they've been very different. Um, depending on the company. So in, in the one company, there was a focus on, you know, treasury, financial planning and analysis um, was the focus. And then in the other instance, the, the focus was mainly on reporting and, um, and, and looking to see that the, the reporting forecast uh, items of the business are handled. So I would say, it's, it's, it's difficult to definitively say that there are exact differences, but there are pretty much similarities and, and depending on the organization. Uh, so uh, it's a little bit tricky, I suppose, in your answer, but for those who are, who are maybe doing 
what advice do you have for people who want to move from that controller role or that accountant role to the financial manager role? Is there extra training they can do? Is there a way that they can improve their skills? Any tips there? Yeah, so for me, um, the, the, the tip that I give to a lot of people that want to move from one role to the other is kind of always to examine why you want you know, that role. What is it about that role that attracts you, first of all? Um, if, if just having the role is what attracts you, sometimes all you need to do is to go ask, uh, particularly small companies, can I change my title? And then they can change it to that. But if there is specific attributes that you think are lacking uh, in your professional suite uh, that you want to enhance, um, then you look at, you know, possibly what we're doing right now, you look at somebody else who's doing that role and say, okay, what is it that uh, I would need to do to transition from here to there? So if, for example, um, you, you're not having, um, dealing with treasury, for example, you're not doing your budgeting, your forecasting, that kind of stuff um, on, on a regular basis, then you, you ask to help. Uh, to get exposure uh, to that aspect. And if, for example, you're not preparing board packs um, in, in your role and, and, and your FM is, is preparing those, those board packs and you're in a situation where you do that, I think they always, particularly in small organizations, when you ask to help with something, nobody will ever deny you the chance to help. And from starting from assisting, then you get an opportunity to actually start viewing how that process unfolds. And you get also, especially if you're studying or just finished studying, you are fresher, you have um, more recent information, and perhaps you can actually work the longer hours that uh, some senior people cannot do. So it's, 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 a, it's always being given an opportunity, first on a trial basis, and then using that as kind of an opportunity to learn. And then the next thing is, if you cannot get that opportunity within your organization, it means that when you're talking to a recruiter the next time, you can say, I've had exposure with this, yes, in an assisting role, and now I'd actually want to run the show. I think that's a good, that's a very good tip. I see you've, you've worked in many industries, uh, audit, tires, food safety, connectivity, and now retirement servicing. How are you able to be so adaptable? I actually didn't know that I was ad adaptable. Um, <laughs> I, I've actually just recently found out that. Uh, but I think what we fear as, as people is that the, indus the industry is, is wickedly different. Um, when I started in this role in retirement, I kind of, uh, almost self-sabotage because uh, I I told the interviewers that I've got no experience whatsoever in this retirement industry, and on top of that, it's it's actually um, an NGO, and I was like, okay, so disclaimer, so you know this is the the deal about me, but what you actually find out is that. Um, within most businesses, if you have a good understanding of, well, I don't claim to have a good understanding so far, but you need to have a good understanding 
of what the the objective of the business is, uh, the actual real values and the ethos of driving that business. Uh, you mentioned that I've worked in entire business. It was not entire business. It was a distribution business. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what it was. So it's it's like McDonald's when they talk about McDonald's being a, um, a real estate, you know, a real estate, and and people look at it and say, but it's a fast food outlet. That's what. That's not exactly what it was. So we were doing just in time. Uh, delivery before COVID and before everybody and, you know, the Checker 6060s decided they were also going to do it. And we were delivering tires within two hours, uh, you know, circa 2016. And, and, and that's what it was. At its core, it was a distribution business. Um, so I think what you need to do is not to take lightly the kind of grounding and training that you get, especially if you're coming from a background where you've done articles, you've done auditing, and to kind of take those principles out of those subjects and make them live within the context that you you are operating in. Because remember when, if you did articles and auditing, you would audit different clients. And at, at a certain point, you would use the same principles to conduct your audits for those clients. And I think you can approach the different industries in a similar way, almost create your own little template of uh, how you approach things. And that's how you, well, that's how I've actually managed to at least work in those different industries. Okay, okay, makes sense. Now there's a question I'd like to ask all my guests. What is one piece of advice you would give your younger self? I would say don't stress about um, a lot of things. Uh, I was quite a serious young man growing up, and some people still accuse me of being serious, but I, I do think I've loosened up and I'm more easygoing than I used to. Uh, not everything is a life and death situation. Some things are, but um, some things will resolve themselves, and it's not the end of the world if something doesn't go your way. And um, one of the worst things you can ever do for yourself is to set yourself a fixed objective and, and, and drive yourself too hard to attain that objective. So that's what I would tell my younger self to say, look, um, you know, some you win, some you lose, but it's not the end of the world. That's a great, that's some great advice. Let's go through questions and see if there's anything coming. A lot of the comments are just people enjoying the show. Uh, the show. We've got a question from Farahi who says, what motivated you to get back on the CA route? Because I mean, you, as you mentioned, you, you took a step back, but you came back and you got through. So give us that story. Yeah, so this one is, I'll try and, and, and be as honest as possible, but I actually felt being a non-CA, there was actually nothing differentiating me from, from a CA uh, in terms of knowledge, competence and all of that stuff. So it would be whether real or imagined these uh, kind of undercurrents that you would sense when engaging, let's say you're engaging with the bank or you're engaging with um, a, a stakeholder or a shareholder where you'd kind of get, you know, somebody not seemingly skeptical either about your abilities, your intentions and, and all of that stuff. So it, it always ended up being somebody who would be actually keen to know, are you, are you a CA? And then 
I think that was the, the final thing that said to me, oh, okay, let's go and get this thing. And once I, I said, I made that decision, um, then everything kind of flowed smoothly. That makes sense. Any last few words from you or anything we didn't discuss that you'd like the audience to know? Ooh, uh, we, we'll have to keep it short <laughs> because, it, uh, you know, as, as you know, sometimes we have uh, a lot of views and, and, and issues. But I would like to just um, say we know we've got this whole thing of um, high unemployment. And, and one of the reasons why my story is remarkable is that somebody just took a chance on me when I was one inexperienced and didn't know the subject matter at all and, and decided to give me a, a try. And it's, it's particularly heartbreaking when you, when you look these days, particularly even on LinkedIn, that uh, a lot of people seem to want a lot for entry-level jobs. And there is seemingly some re reluctance on companies to actually take a chance on the youth. And it's not that, um, uh, you know, I myself am, am, am doing a whole rallying cry and, and employing a lot of youth, but it's, I am a beneficiary of that. And I would like to encourage a, a lot of people, colleagues, anybody who might be listening to say, please take a chance on, on young people. Um, even if they don't have all of the requirements and, and also look at the requirements. It, it would save us a lot more if more companies were willing to, to go through that process of training and, and trusting young people. And young people get a lot of bad stick uh, about being lazy and all of that. I haven't personally experienced it. All the young people that I've come across seem to be energized, seem to be motivated, and seem to be actually hungry, you know, to get to the next level. That's that's what I would like to to get out there to say, look, if if you we want to change things, I think one of the small things we can do is to just look at our hiring practices and, and give young people a chance. Take a chance on young people. That's a great way to end. The show has been live on YouTube and should be available on podcast by tomorrow. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast and you feel that it's added value, don't forget to like, subscribe, and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. Justice, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Wayne. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat. Goodbye. <laughs>